0: Hi, I'm Sage LaTora. I'm here with Adam Blinkensopp. And this week, another question. What are the best convention games? Yeah, so convention slots, like, four
1: hours-ish? Yeah, four-ish, two-ish. I mean, th- all kinds of things happen at conventions. And people that uh, you probably don't know very well, mm-hmm. uh, but you definitely have time to
0: game. You definitely have time to game. You have people who are interested in gaming in some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, even if this is a smaller con-within-a-con, like uh, PAX, mm-hmm. you're likely people are uh, likely stopping by because they have some interest in tabletop games. They're not right. going like, to come by and uh, just spoil your fun. Um, but there's an element of selling, I, this is something that I kind of got hung up on. Like, Con games are games that you have to find a group of people to play with you, um, right. either through like, a big sign-up process like Gen Con, or like a games on demand thing where you're like, I'm running this game, who wants to play it with me? Or I've got this tiny convention I'm going to in February where they just have a Google spreadsheet. Yeah. And you put your name down and you're like, hey,
1: anybody want to play?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, go Play Northwest is like a forum where you just like post your games. And uh, there's there's an element of con games that's selling the game. Uh, you are also like, like you said, time constraint. Like something that is quick to set up because you want to be able to play the game and should get a decent amount of gameplay in two to four hours. Mm-hmm. Um because, yeah, there are plenty of games that I love where uh, a normal con slot would be, like, character creation. Like, Burning Wheel, if you just straight up did Burning Wheel by the book and did character creation, that would be pretty much your concept. Yeah, yeah.
1: Burning Burning Wheel Rules is written. It, it's it's a bad con game for lots of reasons, right? Like <laughs> Many reasons. You, you need a whole bunch of character creation where you're all very involved, and then you probably want 12 sessions. And then, like, you just... Unless you have a three-week convention and that's all you're going to be doing,
0: then... Yep. Yeah, but It's always funny because uh, I'm at conventions with the Burning Wheel folks a lot because we sell Dungeon Roll through them these days, and so I'll we'll be mad in the booth, and they'll be like, oh, are you running demos of Burning Wheel? And it's always this kind of like, uh, I mean... the Because you could run the sword or the whatever, sword yeah. The sword is a decent little demo, uh, but it... I don't no, know, it's still... It's not Burning Wheel. It's not all of Burning Wheel. Like,
1: it's, like it's, it's, it's Burning Wheel LARP. Yeah. Uh, but that's not, like... It's the it's over time is where it kind of unveils interestingness
0: and the setup for it means that uh, there's a certain amount of GM skill that I'm still developing in hitting interesting things about Burning Wheel in how you do that setup right because um, it's it, it's it it exists to sell the game yeah so that you want to play a long campaign and ideally you want to show off some things like fight mm-hmm. uh, duel of wits in there and depending on how everybody comes together you have to be ready to kind of poke the situation in the right ways to make those show up. Because the sword is really
1: built so that the only way you could really get a fight in is if it's player versus player.
0: Pretty much. Uh, If I remember correctly, there's a note in there about, like, there could be a spider here or something. Like, there's there's kind of a note on, like, you could throw in a fight if you wanted, um, which I... I actually feel like the fight rules, um, while not that important to the overall game, are really useful to selling it, because they're different than a lot of other games. Right. But you could do that with Duel of Wits, and Duel of Wits is much easier to get going. Duel of Wits is is pretty much guaranteed to happen, and it's a a bigger differentiator. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's more likely that you end up with people saying, oh, I've never had a debate in a game and had it... And is it the gift that the uh, dwarves and elves are meeting? That's another one
1: that Duel of Wits works really well. Yeah, that one's a little tougher to kind of get rolling, I feel like. Uh, but they, they feel like mini games. So my honorable mention here is, along those lines, Inheritance, because I haven't had a chance to play it, but it feels totally like, bring this to a con, get your ten people, if somebody drops, just find somebody and f- play it out. And it's just this kind of little one-shot uh, LARP experience and hopefully will be super good. Everything that I've heard about it is super good, but that's why it's not list-worthy, it's just honorable mention.
0: That's interesting, because my first uh, thing on my list is LARPs. Nice! Uh, Because I feel like, for me at least, I'm unlikely to get together a LARP, just as (laughs) my normal weekly gaming. That's that's probably not the first thing that I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Um, And so I I have relatively little experience LARPing. I've done some Boffer LARPs, uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh... I'm trying to think. There's a a couple of other times I can think of. Maybe I alarmed. Anyway, uh, a convention is a great time to, like, try something new. Mm -hmm. Uh, When else are you going to get together, like, enough people for something like uh, Inheritance, which is Luke Crane's game. Um, Ghost Court, Mm -hmm. Jason Morningstar's, I think, still on Kickstarter. Maybe it it recently funded, uh, where it's exactly what it sounds like, Ghost (laughs) uh, ghost in Court. Um, Juggernaut, which is this really cool Jason Morningstar game Mm -hmm. where you're, uh, like, Cold War scientists with like a computer that can tell the future, which is this deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the climb, uh, which is climbing Everest, basically. Um, nice. There's all these great LARPs that one of these days at a convention I really need to get some time to play because, uh, yeah, when else? Like this is, this is. It feels like what cons are for. Though I, pretty much on all of mine, I came up with reasons not to do them and uh the downside to a con is finding like a dedicated space. Most of these games you want like a room, you're not going to have other That people is just through. for this game, yeah. Yeah. Uh and kind of good luck with that. I mean um well, I don't know,
1: probably with a with a good larp you could have a space that is a little bit shared like until you start pulling out swords and stuff. Yeah. You could have a shared space and then try and pull people in over time like, you know, oh yeah, this next session we could just roll you something up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think that the pulling people in is potentially the other hard part. Uh I mean, I'm a pretty open minded gamer and still, like I said, for my normal weekly game, I'm not exactly gonna jump on a LARP. Yeah. Uh I I think that it may be a tougher sell for finding a random group of players to say, like, Oh yeah, we're gonna pretend to be people climbing Everest and like not pretend with the dice and stuff, we're literally gonna like say, I'm in my tent now and yeah. Um it's just hard. But I think it, it's a great fit for cons. Totally. It, it's the kind of weird thing, like, I often go to cons for the experience and the spectacle. Like, I actually love Gen Con, despite not getting as much gaming there, partially because it is this huge, like, nerd spectacle, uh, and playing weird stuff that I'm not going to play elsewhere, and LARPs totally fit that. So
1: my my first is also this kind of catch-all, this, which is the... Large multiplayer war game oh. set, so here I stand and Fief and Churchill and Triumph and Tragedy and these games where they do not fit the uh, our introductory mold where we say, "Oh yeah, it has to be four hours because here I stand is six at yep. best, uh, or it has to be really easy to teach because these are all games I would want people to read their rules before coming, like in here I stand, I assign factions. And it's like, okay, you're going to read the French rules. You better know those things, know your chateaus, uh, and then show <laughs> up and Chateau. play. <laughs>
0: Can I have a shirt that says, know your Chateau." Know your
1: chateaus? I, yeah. Oh, I would buy that shirt. Uh, <laughs> France, France is hard. Um, but, yeah, anytime anytime I go to a convention, I want to play one of these super long games because, you know, when do you even have time?
0: Well, and I think conventions uh, are great for that in part because you can cut down on distractions to some degree. Uh, Usually if I'm at a convention, I'm somewhere where, like, if something breaks at work, I can't help with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a lot easier to just be like, well, I'm not even going to try. Whereas if it's my normal game night and somebody's like, oh, something broke. Uh, Okay. Or, you know, somebody's sick at home or whatever. Like, sorry, I already flew out of town. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not being helpful. That sucks. But at least it's a clear cut and I can just, like, turn off my phone for six hours and Totally.
1: And one of the other great things about them, too, is that, uh, especially for strategy games, like, and I'm sure it works the same way for, for role-playing games, you have a standard group that you play with and they play a particular way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and getting a new group of new people and probably a combination of, of people that you know and people that you have no idea because it's a con uh, and suddenly somebody's playing the Pope a totally different way, and it's just completely messing with the game, which is great for these games,
0: right? Yeah. Um, getting a variety of players, uh, though I think, again, this has the recruiting, like, like you said, a lot of these games, you want somebody who knows the rules and knows the rules for the specific faction they're going to play for some right. of these.
1: Oh, yeah. It's
0: good times. Uh, yeah, I'm totally with you on that one. Uh, we should find a con sometime that we can convince everybody to play Here I Stand.
1: Well, I'd, I'd have you come to Game On in February, but they just sold out their, uh, all their tickets. Uh, I think they've got 15 people on the waiting list. So I'm going to play Maria over there. I don't think I've heard of that one. It's a War of Austrian Succession game. Okay, sure. Uh, it and Friedrich are this beautiful, abstract war game design. Uh, but Maria's three players. I can go into long detail about it <laughs> some
0: other time. Yeah, we, we m- need to make sure that we get to the rest of our list. Uh, so my number two is kind of a very specific one after my broad LARP. Yeah. Uh, an adventure for basic Moldvay D&D, Horror on the Hill. Uh, so, I've heard you talk about this one a yeah, lot. Yeah, this one is based on personal experience mm-hmm. uh, and is going to risk me going into a lot of let me tell you about the time I played this. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you about my character. Yeah, but uh, I think that the the reason that it resonates for me for a con is that it's uh, easy. I mean, it, it's basic D&D. Uh, yeah. It's a little unusual. I'm, I'm playing a fair amount of basic D&D these days, but uh, it's still not something that everybody is going to play all the time. Right. Um... And in particular, going for Horror on the Hill, as opposed to, like, one of the better-known adventures, means that you're more likely, like, it. just the adventure itself is a bit of an oddity, which is great, because it, it's Douglas Niles uh, in 1983, so Expert is out. That was 81. Uh, and 83, while technically being a basic adventure, has some Overland stuff that it kind of is Expert, I guess? like cool. uh, the The setup of the adventure has a lot of similarities to uh keep on the borderlands, like there's you have a base of operations, Guido's Keep, and uh like across the river to this hill that weird stuff's happening on. Um until I got the adventure and read it myself, I didn't know there was actually a dungeon involved because our group never managed to find it across like <laughs> two six hour sessions of play or something like that. Maybe there were only four, but we played a lot of that game, that that adventure. Never found a dungeon. I thought it was an entirely overland adventure until I I read it. But for that, it's nice because it's this oddity. You're not necessarily going to find it somewhere else. It's uh, a gamer game, kind of. You know, this isn't the uh, let me teach you about role-playing games. This is maybe not the place to start. But it's a great, uh, you know, oh, I really like role-playing games. Let me learn more about them. Let me find something weird and play it with people who are super involved. Something pretty classic. Classic. You're At a convention, you're going to find people who are uh, interested in that and maybe have a bit more context in it. Like You're going to sit down and play with the kind of people who are going to be like, wait, there's Overland here, this is basic. Uh, which is kind of fun. It draws out that extra nerdiness in people. Totally. Um, yeah. That kind of discussion is really cool. And exploration
1: is one of the best things that role-playing games do. Yeah. Uh, so being able
0: to do that with people... And with new people, so that you can see new things that people are coming up with. And because it's basic, you get a large group of people, and it doesn't have to be entirely serious. I think uh, that's another kind of strike against most LARPs for me, is that I, by probably my second or third slot in a convention, much less the second or third day, I'm a little punch drunk and, like, trying to get me to play something serious. Uh, I had a con game of um, Carrie, uh, which is a game about war, basically, in particular... Um, I believe we were doing Vietnam. Uh, And it's... uh, By Nathan Paletta. it's very well designed. Uh, It's really interesting. It's presented beautifully. It looks like something of the period, which helps a lot. Um, And it's kind of... uh, It's a little bit of a message game in that it does kind of have a bit of commentary about how war works and everything. Um, But because I was playing it with friends on the third day of Gen Con or so, uh, instead of kind of the, like... War is Hell. War is Hell, like Apocalypse Now. Uh, We went Tropic Thunder. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, yeah, it went downhill pretty fast. The guy running the game tried to kind of rein us back in, and it got a little more serious. Um, But I've basically learned that I don't want to try anything serious at a convention, because I'm not going to be able to keep it going, probably. Um, So, yeah. Serious,
1: Serious with new people is really hard, too. Yeah. Like you need you need a group that you can do serious with, and we've talked about serious games before. Like even even normal groups, it's sometimes like your group.
0: Your group can't do serious anyway. So, yeah. well, and serious requires a level of trust, right? Uh, I mean, that's going to be one of the hardest things at a convention. Uh, and the interesting thing about trying to establish that kind of trust at a convention is often it gets into. Um, some of the kind of more formal ways of establishing that trust, like the X card, which is a, a kind of add-on for any game to help people eliminate things they're uncomfortable with in a game, or um, talks about uh, lines and veils, which are ways to discuss things that you either would rather not focus on in a game, but it's kind of fun that they're alluded to, or things that you absolutely do not want included in a game. Um, they're all great tools, but once they're uh, bringing them to the table requires a level of trust already to have that conversation with people. Right. Um, And that's great because it enables games that require that level of trust. Like, it it brings you up the trust ladder relatively quickly. Um, But it's kind of nice to play games where you don't even necessarily need those. Um, And it's going to be hit or miss with with any
1: group at a convention where you're just kind of rolling the dice. And it's hard to roll the dice on a group when you're going to be spending four hours with them. Yep. Uh, You just want something that's going to work. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's hard. My number two is Fall of Magic. Speaking of very specific, oh, types that's down. an interesting one. <laughs> well, it, it so goes back. Well, it goes back to kind of the thing you were talking about about you know this is an interesting geek artifact, mm-hmm. right? You put this on the table. You roll out the start of the map. You have these beautiful artifacts that sit on the map, and the game is is like, sit down, and I will tell you how this works in 30 seconds, and then we can just talk through it. Mm-hmm. And you get to see all this workmanship, and we can talk about all this crazy stuff going on, and play through it. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, the print room was very small, not very many people have seen it, uh, but lots of people have heard about it because of coverage, right? So you want to, a chance to play it. It also isn't very long, like, it fits easily in a con slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it fits in a con slot in such a way that you can just have it out on the table and have everybody just standing around or sitting around talking about it, uh, and it will get people interested. And then you can play another slot.
0: That's a really strong idea. I think that the games that uh, attract people in some way through the something about the people at the ta- the set up on the table yeah. or the people playing it at the table... Uh, that's a really strong fit for conventions. Yeah, and it's it's cool because
1: it's just so light, um, and your group can kind of push it in different directions. So we're talking about trust. You can play Fall of Magic just however, right? If your group tends funny, you can just go funny through, and you're adding things to this world as you go along, and you will have stuff at the end that you will remember from the beginning, and you know, it's got all the problems and benefits of a very loose, rules-like game, right? It, the problems being, if people aren't bringing anything to it, it's, it's just gonna flop, right? But at a con game where people are signing up to play, that's less of an issue. Mm-hmm. Especially people that have an interest in this kind of thing. Some people who either have heard of it and really want to play or or haven't heard of it. Maybe are just starting in role-playing games, and I think it works really well there. Um, so it has less of a chance to just fall apart. And then you might be able to get a much larger group. And a large group for Fall of Magic works great because you can kind of divide up You know, this person doesn't have anything right now, but, I mean, we have ten people here, and they can just all talk about whatever's going on. It's pretty straightforward to run, it's pretty straightforward to play, and it's beautiful on the table, so.
0: The the table appeal on that one is super high, and I think you're right. I've been impressed with how much, like, crossover coverage that game has gotten from kind of different reporting outlets. Um, Well, I mean, Shut Up and Sit Down featured it. yeah. Um, that, that
1: blew me away. Uh, just, just so cool. And yeah, I've played it, uh, my group at home, we mostly play board games on Tuesdays, but I pulled out Fall of Magic, because I was like, hey, I got this new thing, I haven't been able to play it yet, mm-hmm. and we had a great time, so.
0: That's a, a strong recommendation. Okay. Oh, the, you haven't actually mentioned much about how the game, went. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, So. We should, a <laughs> background here, we're both familiar. Well,
1: it's weird, right? Um, it's, it's a game on a map. So it's not a game about making a map, like Quiet Year, and it's not a game about exploring a map, really. You're you're on this journey through the map. You start in one place, you decide as a group what happens in that place and kind of some decisions that you can make. And then you move along the map to the next place. And sometimes there's decisions um, just to to throw... Uh, some differences in from one traversal of the map to another traversal of the map. But it's mainly about stuff happens here, stuff happens at this next place, stuff happens at this next place, and eventually we get to the end of the map and the story comes to a close, right? the map is on a
0: scroll. That's an important... uh, The the person who produced the game uh, had to come up with how to make scrolls. Like, that's part (laughs) of the production
1: problem of the game. Yes, which is crazy. And then you have... Kind of these solid coin pieces that you move around the map, and I have a whole bunch of coins at home that I can kind of use if I want more players or less players, so people can make decisions about that. Kind oh, of I hadn't stuff. thought
0: about that adjusting the yeah because it becomes it, really easy for your collection of coins in particular. It
1: scales well to any number of people, yeah. really. I mean, you just hang out and you're talking about what's going on, and it's your entire kind of collection of people taking this journey. And something that I've complained about about. Role-playing games for a, a long time is that they have a really hard time coming to a close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very difficult to design one where you say, "Okay, and this is the end," and it doesn't feel like you're just wasted, yeah. uh, you know, or you just want to start again immediately with basically the same characters, or maybe immediately with different characters in the same world. Like in Fall of Magic, you start, you end. There's stuff going on in the middle. There's an arc. It's it's cool like that. That's it. Um, but yeah, the the mechanical details. I mean, there's almost no mechanism here. The I mean, the reason you play it is to see this beautiful map and and tell a beginning, middle, end kind of tale about the world. So
0: nice. So that already brings us to my number one. We are moving quickly today, but that's okay because we my have number lots one... to talk about afterwards. Yeah. My number one is one of the more clear number ones I've ever had on one of these lists. Like, in a lot of ways, I feel that it is fairly head and shoulders uh, for my type of convention play above pretty much anything else. Uh, and that game is Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, a level zero funnel. Yeah, um, that was, that was one, of my, one of my shortlisted ones. It's so just such a good idea. It's such a good idea. Uh, there are many reasons that this fits very well. So Dungeon Crawl Classics is... Uh, the game by Goodman Games, it's uh, kind of sort of based on D20 plus uh, more of the style of early D&D plus uh, a dose of weirdness and randomness in particular. Chaos. Uh, chaos. Like, it doesn't... It, it's uh, a slightly lighter type of metal than the Lamentations of the Flame Princess kind of metal, which is, like, a bit more of the, uh, the gross-out, dark. This is a bit more... Drawings in your PG. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so the way the game plays, uh, the start of a campaign of Dungeon Call Classics, you start as zero-level characters. Characters... Very important. Yes. You you start (laughs) uh, playing several of these, anywhere from... Uh, I would probably not do fewer than three, and I three to four would probably be a decent range. I think there's a suggestion in the book about how many you let people have, but anyway, I typically do three per player. I, um, do, I do
1: four per player, and then depending on how quickly people start dying, I add more.
0: Yes, uh, and adding more brings us to adventures, which I think is a key part of this, but I'll get back to that. Sure. Uh, so you have multiple characters... Zero level, who are essentially random. Uh, you name them. I believe that's the only actual choice you make, uh, which makes it super easy to get into the game. You, uh, I actually have a form filled PDF of all of my zero level characters that I just print out whenever I want to run Dungeon Call Classics. Give everybody, uh, put the pile in the middle of the table, and just tell people like grab them, um, or just shuffle them out, like. Sometimes a lot of people pick if they really want. Uh, So somebody gets the Gong Farmer, for example. example. Uh, But it's easy to get started, uh, and especially if you're playing with people with pretty much any familiarity with uh, role-playing games, that probably means that they've played something D20-esque, either before or after it, uh, which means that they can get into this pretty easily. uh, So there's not a whole lot of learning curve. Um, The caveat that I dislike about it for this is that uh, there are a lot of random tables that need to be consulted, and the book is huge. Uh, it, it's big enough that even going through the PDF is kind of a pain, so it's uh, a bit painful to either carry around this huge book or to like be flipping through a PDF on your phone or something, or uh, maybe there's an app for some of them, I, I forget exactly.
1: But during the funnel, there's very few of those tables that you really have to consult post-character creation.
0: Yeah, for the most part, um... I actually feel like the best funnels are ones that bring in the randomness. Um, so I've played a couple of funnels. Uh, funnel adventures. So funnel adventures are the zero-level adventures. Uh, they're called funnels because lots of characters die, and the ones that come out become first-level, become real adventurers. Um, it's so brutal. It's I so love brutal. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've had people come out where like they're loaning characters so that everybody has a character by the end of it. Um, the, the best funnels, in my opinion, are ones that give you more opportunities to roll random effects. Um, so several of the random things in there, uh, there's uh, higher-level stuff like spells and um, mighty deeds of arms, which have random tables associated with them. Um, I think it's good if a funnel includes like at least one or two magic items that do spell-type things, just to like introduce that concept. Um, and because I think the random tables are some of the best parts of the game.
1: Yeah. Having something come out of the game that was not player-driven is one of, like, it's the big draw for DCC in general, right?
0: Yeah, the, the randomness of the game is a huge part of it. It uses all these funny dice. You can have randomness on all kinds of different scales. Um, the one part that I feel like is important to make sure that funnels hit is uh, there's rules for corruption, like dark magic corrupts you, and or all magic, really. Um, and it's important to get that happening because uh, if your adventure is relatively low Craziness. If it really is just like a bunch of villagers with pitchforks hunting down a slightly larger than usual wolf or something, um, the, the kind of chaos of having this many people is a bit interesting, but you're missing out on a lot of interesting gameplay.
1: Like, yeah, you don't want to play it as a tactics game with yeah. 10 people against a wolf. Like, yep. that's not interesting. You're going to start with three dozen characters and you want them to hit something that's going to kill half of them.
0: And you want uh, magic weird things to interact with. That, right. Uh, the, it, it's a great game for the players saying, um, well, there's this weird uh, pillar of water suspended in the middle, like nothing around it, so we don't want to touch it. And the funnel enables people to take chances with that because they're like, oh, I still have four characters. Uh, yeah, uh, the gong the farmer. <laughs> yeah, the
1: low, the low stat
0: character is going to go up and touch yeah, it. Yeah, the, the halfling goes up and, and touches <laughs> it. What happens? And like, if, if it is an instant kill trap, it's like, okay, I, I got three more of those. Like, <laughs> uh, and that guy, uh, somebody grabs his loot. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's really important to put those in the funnels. So the the two funnels that I've run, uh, "Sailors on the Starless Sea," which I think is the best, and uh, I highly recommend. I I could almost just say "Sailors on the Starless Sea." Uh, the other one, so that's the only one officially. Produced by Goodman Games, at least the last time I checked. Did there's you... the
1: uh, there's the initial adventure in the book.
0: Oh, the initial adventure in the book, yeah. So there's a little funnel in there. I don't think that one. I haven't interacted with it as much. It's a little smaller. It's it's
1: fine for getting an intro to the system. I think it actually works pretty well for that. Like uh, the
0: Sunless Sea one is a little long. It is a little long for a convention slot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that a convention slot has to conclude. No. Um, I think you're, you're right that it's good when role-playing games offer a real conclusion. It'd be great to be able to run the entire funnel in that time frame. Totally. Just get um, a double slot. Just get a double slot, yeah. You
1: could You could totally finish in eight hours, but I don't know if you'd want... Like, eight hours is pushing the edge of how long I want to play one game.
0: Yeah, and, and DCC, uh, those elements of randomness, I think, work best at kind of like a high-octane, play it fast. Yeah, totally. Don't try and keep yourself going too long. Um procession. like I, I think it has legs for long of the games. Uh, but the other one that I've played is uh, the Perilous Pantry of Pendleton Nebelbrook. I think it was. I, I it should have, have, have written down the entire title instead of Yeah, it's uh, a halfling who uh, was digging a new pantry for his Hobbit Hole. Uh, sorry, Halfling Hole. Gotta gotta go right on that one. And stumbled onto this cave there filled with weird old magic stuff. Um, my main complaint with that one, uh it it's somebody else published it compatible with the system. Uh it didn't have enough of kind of the the weirdness uh for people to encounter early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start out with because it, it has to be a thing that this halfling stumbled down, uh it starts out with just like a cave with some spiders and stuff and like you get a little bit of combat, it's okay, but it it doesn't have uh enough things for the players to start taking chances with. Like they right. kind of walk through this area and there's spiders mm-hmm. And, I mean, sure, maybe you get cautious at the sight of cobwebs and stuff, but uh, compared to that, the sailors on the starless Sea, there's this old abandoned keep you're going up to, and there's, like, this tree that womps people, basically, like a killer assassin vine thing right there. And it's a a better, like, it's not too hard to work around, really, but it's a great kind of, like, oh, yeah, somebody walks up there, your first character rolls some dice, dies. Like, it it sets the tone a little bit better because it's... crazy and weird not just some extra large spiders
1: yeah the i think so the one in the book is uh you're going through this either a portal or a cave um and it's just you know it 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 is a classic dungeon with classic dungeon traps and classic dungeon monsters a little twisted by the game but so it feels right and then in I definitely had deaths in the first room. Mm -hmm. And I think you do... Like, setting the tone is just so important. Um, You can do a lot of that during character creation. I like making people roll their own. Yes, But you just write down the stats down a line on your page because it's like, don't even bother naming these people until they survive a little while. Because, you know, no big deal. So go ahead and roll for six or seven characters or something and then we'll use the top three and as they die, maybe we'll pull in some others. Uh, And it makes it just really straightforward to to say to people, look, we're b- making a whole bunch of these because they're going to die. Mm-hmm. Most of them are going to die. If you have one character at the end, you can feel lucky. If it's a character that actually has okay stats, you can feel really, really lucky.
0: Well, that's part of what I like about the uh, stack of characters is that the fact that I bring, I think it's 50 or so, characters <laughs> to the game... <laughs> Like <laughs> establishes some of that, I agree there's something nice about having people roll them, but I'm a big fan of getting started super quick, yeah, that's true um and just the like just the time to roll those stats and uh, it's a toss up i I like that approach as well and I, your uh kind of pitching it thing is one of the things that I love about it because the the presentation of the game in particular and it carries through the rules as well is kind of this like uh slacker metal kind of uh feel to it like they both take it seriously and not too seriously right and that makes for a really great pitch for me because I can do this kind of like low key laid back but you're all gonna die thing um it's really uh I get to put in lots of kind ofs and like and you'll probably die like that is a really easy pitch for me to make it really fits my personality um it's a really nice icebreaker as well, because, like, I get to say slightly ridiculous things in this really low-key way. Uh, when I pitched it at New Mexico on, uh, oh, geez, a couple years back now, uh, I just kind of, like, pulled out the book and some sheets, and was like, yeah, uh, it was Friday night. If anybody wants to play a game with me, like, you can all come, and I'll probably kill you, more or less. <laughs> uh, a few of you might survive. You're going to try and go into a halfling's pantry and like a big shrug which is going to come across on the, the recording and, and like that to me is a really easy pitch i don't have to try and like explain uh like historical stuff or try to com- like convey some weight to anything i can just be kind of like millennial and uh <laughs> yeah it fits me really well yeah, well, there's also there's other parts to the pitch, right? That book is beautiful. Yes, uh,
1: the art is great. I am I am one of the people that really likes it. Uh, and then you get to drop weird shaped dice on the table and yep. be like, "We're gonna roll these. Yep. I know you've never seen these before. We're gonna roll these. Yep, D twenty fours, D twenty fours, yeah, <laughs> which is just. Odd. You have your big stack of character sheets mm-hmm. that you can drop on the table and be like, "Yeah, we're going to need these." Yeah. Uh, oh, are those pre-gens? Yeah, about fifty of them. Uh, whoa, I have a lot of options. No. Nope. No, no, you're just you gonna you're don't. just gonna die. Which <laughs> is you know for for the groups that I've done it with, the selling hey, we're going to have to roll up four characters each. It's a little harder sell, so, but the people that I play with really like rolling dice. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, you get to roll dice a whole bunch for a little while. Uh, most of these people will die, so don't feel bad when you roll bad stats because like, yep. just send that person in front. It's no big deal. Um, gives them more control. Yeah, yeah, DCC is great. Definitely on my on my list of perhaps. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that, that's a little funky about about running it is that if you're going to do the funnel you end the funnel with a bunch of characters that you are now super invested in, yeah. and then you stop the con game, and it's like, well, now what? Because yeah. uh, it's not
0: like there's organized play for DCC. No, you're not going to be able to take those somewhere else, but I do think, uh, like, I'm, as a game designer, I am jealous of how good of a sales tactic this is. Totally. Um, especially if you do a really pared down, like if we can manage to do a two-hour funnel, and then everyone's like, oh, now I get to uh, play these characters, and you're like, oh, yeah, and you get these cool abilities... I think I, I would sell books like crazy. That is so good. It's true. Have, have you played DCC, like, late
1: stage? I know you've played a bunch of first and second level, but but what about, like, once you get to the serious, how is this wizard still alive without being totally corrupted? I have
0: not, actually, uh, unfortunately. I have followed closely along on Adam Coble's game that he ran a, a couple years back. Jeez, probably three years back now. Yeah. Um, But, unfortunately, I have not got to experience that. Um, The biggest challenge that I've found with DCC going further in is... uh, I made some bad choices in modules and with kind of player configurations in most of my games. Um, I think it's important to keep modules that are relatively focused, but still have lots of opportunities for oddness. Um, I've felt that the game, or at least I've struggled with the game, more uh kind of the more open it gets uh there's an investigation kind of uh there's like an oh man what's the name of a uh basically there's a hound of the Baskervilles almost kind of thing with like a hound that's killing people in a village um, and DCC it, doesn't seem like it do an investigation very well uh, it's not heavy investigation but there's definitely kind of a like you come to town and something's up and you need to like get going a little bit, and there's not a whole lot of um, adventure locations to it. There's a few, and they're they're interesting. There's, you know, like an old burial mound and stuff. Uh, But I had a hard time making that one work, especially after having just done a funnel that was very kind of like, here's your goal, we're going to get from here to here, people are going to die, and then it's like, and all the characters had developed... Just enough personality for that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, there's a scared woman at the end who might be sacrificed to appease the beast. And everybody's like, uh, I have my normal approaches, or no, I like. Yeah, yeah. Because because it makes you super cynical,
1: right? Yeah. Because you're ready for everybody to die, and you're like, all this stuff is weird, I don't trust any of it. And so you don't play the normal hero
0: role. And, And you've probably set up with more characters, and those characters are all pretty weird. It's yeah. like, yeah, the the guy whose eye has been replaced by a coin comes into town and says he'll save you. Do you, do you trust that? Um, and I think the DCC works a little bit more when it, uh, a little bit better for me at least, when the situations are uh, like on their face absurd enough to let this stuff flow a little bit more. Like, mm-hmm. um, So, after that, the next adventure that I ran, because that one was kind of struggling, uh was this one that uh, it's a like demiplane that's collapsing, uh, and there's these powerful wizards. Uh, and the control of NBCs within the uh, collapsing plane is based on like this tarot deck that you redeal out to uh, like reassign like as time, each day the NBCs shift just magically. Who they're paying attention to, which has all the like high level weirdness stuff. Um, But I made some bad choices just in how like I had future mini players, so I tried to split them up. Uh, I split the party, which was already not a great idea. Yeah, Uh, and the game just kind of slowed down from there to the point that like you said, a lot of games just kind of peter out and like "Eh, we've had enough of this. Um,
1: I feel like the way I would want to run a long term DCC game, not to get super off topic, but we've got time, uh, is do. Because you want to start them off in the normal villager situation. Yes. Because the best DCC games that I've played are the village rises up as mostly one and grabs their pitchforks and rushes out to deal with this horrible threat mm-hmm. and then gets way over their head. And yep. then
0: basically the entire village dies. Yep. So and the few remaining survivors are... Yeah. Right. So what do
1: they do, right? So I, I, what I would want is that initial adventure to pop them into some kind of mega dungeon and they have to start making a new life there. Yeah. Uh, at which point, you still have a whole bunch of weird... You have less weird close to whatever they choose as their home base. Yeah. And then you can push them further away, and they can get used to the weird monsters near them. And then, as you decide that you want to bring it to a close, you can bring them out into the normal world again, and they're just so affected by the
0: weird that it's a good ending. That's kind of interesting, like, almost an underdark kind of thing where, like, they find out there's this entire other world and for some reason are pretty much stuck with being there. They can't go back to normal life. Uh... That would be really good, because it lets you bring in a whole lot of the oddness and weirdness that I think the game really
1: thrives on. And you continue to get all of the weird chaos rolls and random tables and crazy monsters that are new each time, and you can find caches of treasure down there. Like You can do all of the classic Dungeons and Dragons-y type stuff, yeah, and not have to worry about... How am I
0: setting this in the overall story? Because who cares? Like yeah, you just want to run around and see weird things. So I think the way that I would like implement that specifically: uh, do sailors on the starless sea, uh, which has like a little village near this corrupted fort that do stones and people, or whatever. Um, most of the village probably dies. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's the one thing. Like if a lot of people survived, it'd be a problem. But uh, the local law enforcement, basically, would be like, oh, you must have, like, they would believe that the villagers killed each other or something and, like, run you out of town, and you take refuge in probably, like, underground caves, and it it's an underdark, like, an entire society underground kind of thing, but I could see it also being maybe pan-dimensional or something like that. The, and then you're just trying to, like, eek by in, like, the weird, the edges of the
1: world. Totally. The core adventure does something that you could totally take this with, where you're going into this... This kind of weird location dungeon thing through a portal, and you can just make it so that they don't get back out yeah uh, it'd be super easy to just oh yeah, at the end, this portal sucks you in, and now you're you have no idea where you are, but yep. at least your first level congratulations
0: oh, uh, so I've been listening to another great podcast, uh, Jane Miles explained the X men and they've been talking about the cross time caper, which is this excalibur story where everybody like just keeps on popping through alternate dimensions. I could see it being that, and like, then just jumping, jumping, jumping. Just, yeah, totally Every like... time, jump to like a new weird alternate alternate dimension, and uh, just keep on like it's the journey home kind of thing uh, across the multiverse. Right. Uh, and then, so Dungeon Call Classics has um, several associated either like small mini games or entire extra uh, like entire published big games mm-hmm. that take uh, some of the same rules and apply them to uh, like John Carter of Mars and uh, like post apocalyptic mutants. And I could totally see just like using those, like, and now you're on Mars. And now you're post-apocalypse. Totally. And like just keep on throwing them into crazy stuff. As long as we wanted to do that. And like when people start to look like tired of it or we've reached a level where like it makes sense that they would have the ability to get themselves home, you return home and conquer heroes or whatever. Or, or you, you go Voyager. Apocalypse. Like like there's a lot of there's a lot of Gilligan's Island, right? Yeah. There's a lot
1: of shows where they never get back, or they get back and then have to go wherever they were, yeah, because that's the story. the story is trying to get back, it's not getting back, and then yep. you can just end it whenever and pretend it's a serial,
0: yeah, right? and that, that's the nice thing like you if you see things that are petering out, like you can give it an ending pretty quickly
1: yeah so okay. my my top one is we've we've covered a little bit is just d and d in general yeah d and d makes a great con game. Uh, lots of people already know D&D of some sort, which is wonderful. D&D 5's character creation is hyper-quick, so mm-hmm. that's also great, because I don't like doing pre-cons. Yeah. Uh, which is why I do DCCU to make people roll, right? Yeah. Um, D&D character sheets are... the five character sheets are super, super quick, because it's like pick class, pick race, there's no feats mm-hmm. unless you really want them, which I probably wouldn't do in a con game. Uh, and then just run super-standard D&D adventure and yep. go for it, you know? Just to kind of
0: show people this is what the hobby can do at base level. So you're thinking of, like, convention games here where the people at the convention may not necessarily... Like, you, you mentioned showing people.
1: Like, yeah, so the convention that I'm talking about going on in February is primarily a wargaming and Eurogaming convention. Mm-hmm. And they're... I don't think that there are any RPGs scheduled for it, but I'm considering it. And the ones that I would run are either D&D 5, I would run Dungeon World, which is my other honorable mention because it's, I can play Dungeon World with people with effectively no setup time and zero prep and still have a pretty good four hour experience that makes people want to go buy the book, so good times. I wouldn't want to run Fall of Magic with people in that sphere though. Because it's too wishy-washy. Like, this is full of strategy gamers who want to be able to win the game. Mm-hmm. So D&D is a much easier sell, because it's like, hey, you know, you guys have heard of this, for one, and it's also, there's a bunch of background as far as, oh yeah, you have these abilities in combat that you can mm-hmm. use to, to hit stuff.
0: Well, and I think it's an interesting, I, I ask myself this question a lot, like, when in, introducing RPGs, we've, we've done an entire podcast on this. Totally. What... You're setting a standard, and RPG is such a wide field. Like Call of Magic, in some ways, I want that to be somebody's first experience because it's so weird and out there that they're we're like expanding what people think of as RPGs, and that's great. But on the other hand, if I'm being realistic about like what RPGs mean to most people, that's not representative. It's just scary for people that that read a bunch, whose whose major experience is
1: you know the literature or or watching fantasy movies or something um i'm all in for fall of magic for dungeon world for for you know larps for for things that are much more free flowing i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because they have amazing experiences with it just in general and they don't they're not bothered by the idea that i'm sitting at the end of the table and they roll a 6 minus and i say This happens, and they don't have to worry about, oh, well, how did you know that that happened? Whereas people that are much more hardcore board games uh, bother me about, well, wait, so what exactly did that come from? And,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, how did
1: you determine that, or what are the rules around that? They
0: want to build that knowledge of being able to say, okay, when I do this, this will happen. Right. Um, My
1: friend Ken had a really, really hard time with this until I had him read the the book. uh And I was like, look, you know... This is basically how it works, and he's like, "Well, but where does it tell you that that's what you come up with?" And I'm like, "You just have to come up with that stuff." Uh-huh. He's like, "How do you do that?" And I'm like, oh, "You just do it a long time.
0: Yep, you just keep on doing it until it seems like second nature."
1: Yeah. So, like D and D Dungeon World, if I can get people a little bit more story, I'm worried about. So, the apocalypse world that I've ga- games that I've done in cons also require a bunch of trust because the the setting is. Pushed a little harder.
0: Yeah. And so you really need the right kind of group. Well, and it, uh, there are things on the sheets that go directly to sex in particular mm-hmm. that, I mean, that shouldn't be too taboo of a topic, but it still is practically. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure that's a topic that I want to raise immediately with people I don't know. No, it's, it's, when it works, it's great. Yeah. And when it doesn't
1: work, it's, oh my gosh. But like, Gender World is just generally good. Uh, sagas of the Icelanders, I'd love to run into con but the oh, cell is yeah, so hard. The high. cell is
0: tough, def- and the, the explanation of what it's like to be in Iceland at that point.
1: And gender matters a whole bunch in character creation, yeah. and it's like, let's have this gigantic discussion about sagas, which I'm. Like, if I could sell it before the con on a spreadsheet or something, and then come to the con knowing that the group that I have has already read my description, already likes everything, already knows the background, already understands where they're coming from, that's going to be much easier to deal with. Yeah. Um, Microscope was on my kind of honorable mention list, too, but like we've talked about a lot, there's a lot of, let's get into this, and
0: then the game doesn't help you, Mm -hmm. which means that it's super hit or miss. Well, and I've had a really—I've—I've I've only played microscope at microscope at conventions, and it's always been really tough. In particular, because uh, you were talking about fall of magic; it mm-hmm. scales up to a lot of people really well. Microscope kind of does, but doesn't really, and it's really tough to find the exact tipping point mm-hmm. where things are going to move quickly enough. Uh, both times that I've done it at conventions, it has—we've we, gone around the table once, and then I'm like, I—I've already been here for, like, one time of actual play after we do the palette and all that stuff. Right. Um, it, it and that's easily slowly.
1: four hours. Yeah. It just takes a long time. And then Fall of Magic, you have a beginning, you have an end, and the game just kind of guides you through the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But in Microscope, first, there's basically, there's very little beginning. It's like skeleton. Yeah. And then you flesh out the skeleton, but you could, you could go forever. Yep. There's no reason that you have to stop. Fall of Magic says no. You're you're stopping here. Here's how long the map is, so you can even time it out. You can be like, "We're two hours, so we should be here." Mm-hmm. Let's move it along. Because I mean, when you're playing a con game, even if it's a GM-less con game, you you have a GM. Yeah. They're the facilitator, but it, they're effectively the GM.
0: Yeah, the facilitator is an interesting role because uh, it it questions a lot what we mean when we say. GM less games. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably its entire own episode at this point. Like yeah. there's there's a lot going on there with what the GM is both the facilitator and often kind of the organizer and the person who has certain fictional uh powers. Basically. Right.
1: But if you're running a convention game, even if there's no GM, like I've played a great game of, I think, Cosmic Patrol or Danger Patrol. Danger uh, Patrol, probably. At, at, uh, at PAX one year. And it's a GMless game, but we had a GM doing all of the busy, you know, the maintenance work mm-hmm. to make sure that we could actually continue on topic and continue playing, and everything was continuing to work, and he would push very particular pieces so that
0: we could play without having to think about it. Well, and GMless at uh, conventions can be really tough because uh, my biggest challenge with a lot of GM. GMless games is keeping everybody on the same page, like, tonally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, especially given my uh, tendency to get kind of weird with convention games, yep. it's really tough. Uh, it's more tough than it is with people I know to keep everybody on the same page, and I already have trouble with that with people I know.
1: Okay, so we need to dedicate an episode to facilitators and
0: GMs, yep. uh, because otherwise we'll talk for another hour. Yeah, well, we could have an entire other episode on that, so I guess we will. <laughs> Let's see uh, if we can get Okay, cool. Yeah, go ahead. I think that probably brings us to the end. We've got uh, our top three picks and a bunch of honorable mentions. Um, I'm slightly amused by how similar our lists were, actually. (laughs) Yeah, pretty close. I mean, LARP versus board games is two totally different ends of the spectrum. Sure, but you kind of mentioned LARP as an honorable mention for yours, and I just didn't even consider board games. Uh, If I had considered board games, I might have collapsed... Like you we did, did. Uh, DC and uh, DCC and Moldvay, into kind of a D and uh, D ish. Sure. And then just spend a lot of time talking about those two in particular, and put board games in there as well because uh, we have very similar tastes in some of the heavy, long, uh, oh, yeah. and even some of the stuff that we can get on the table here, but would be much more convenient at a convention, like a bunch of the coin games. Yep. Ah, uh, yeah. You really need four hours for a coin game. Yeah, pretty easily. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Well, until next time, uh, I'm Sage. I'm here with Adam, and this has been another question.